for the flowers is ministering today in Union Gap. As we shared, they'll be continuing to do so every other week there. And uh, we'll look at something in January. Most likely will be a time where we'll have a, we'll get you that date uh, as we look at that transition more fully. But continue to pray the will and the work of the Lord. I know God is using them and will continue to do so. And your prayers are powerful. So please continue to do so. Amen. I'm glad you've come to the house of the Lord today. I am. Would you turn with me in scripture to the book of Romans? Praise God. I only know where we're starting today. I'm not sure where we'll finish. And up until this morning, I did not think that this, I had no clue that this is where we were starting. There's something the Lord is wanting to do, and we want him to have his way, amen? Praise God. Romans chapter number two. If you're there, say amen. If you're not quite there yet, you can say, oh me, and we'll wait. It was sort of nice in a different way not having this uh, screen and projector for a couple of weeks. I see people got in habits of carrying their Bible and turning through the pages. It's a wonderful thing. I like having it there because I like to pause and really point out stuff. But Thank God for his word. Romans chapter number two. And we're just going to start in verse one. Um, I think, yeah, let's just start in verse 1. Therefore, thou art inexcusable. Everybody say inexcusable. That's a strong word, isn't it? Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are that judgest. And then he begins to define that. For wherein... Thou judgest another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge do the same things. See, context is really important in Scripture. And so the Lord speaking through the Apostle Paul, as he pens these words, is saying, the one that is inexcusable in judgment is the one who judges when they're doing the same thing they're judging somebody else for. The word doesn't contradict itself. Scripture teaches us that judgment should begin at the house of God. So Paul, you know, some, we live in a world today that would like to say, well, you know, don't judge me. This isn't what the scripture is talking about. And when we use the word judge in scripture, we're not talking about finding fault with somebody and condemning them. We're talking about by the love of God, using the word of God to show them a way that's right versus a way that they're in that could be leading to destruction. But in love. Amen. The word of God teaches us we have a responsibility to do that. 
Now, so that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, and Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Right? So he's writing to those that are believers here. And apparently there's this challenge where some are judging. You know, they're saying, you know, Brother Lewis, you really shouldn't wear ties. Ties are of the devil. Right? This is what he's saying. Don't judge someone when you're doing the same thing you're judging them for. Right? All right, verse 2. But we are sure. Everybody say we're sure. We're sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things? And you do the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God. Now, we read that so you'd have context, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. All right, I want us to go to verse 4. And hopefully you've been paying attention, but if not, pay attention now. Listen to the word of the Lord. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness. At the outset of the service, Brother Lewis talked about the goodness of God. And Paul is asking the church a question. Do you despise the riches of the Lord's goodness and His forbearance and His long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The goodness of God has a purpose. The goodness of God isn't so you can say, well, you know what, I can still act and live and do whatever I want to do. God's good and He loves me. No, the goodness of God shines a light into my life, shows me the areas of my life that are in contradiction to His will and His way, and it leads me and you to a place that says, God, by Your grace, let there be a change of my thinking, a change of my mind. Lead me to a place of repentance. This is what the goodness of God does. It doesn't condone my actions that are contrary to His will and word. The goodness of God leads me to a place where there's a change of heart, a change of mind. I can't do that in my fleshly ability. You can't do that in your own mental ability. It's going to take a work of the supernatural Spirit of God to enable you and I. And what is it? It's the goodness of God that reaches to you. It's the goodness of God that found you and I where we were and drew us to Himself. And when we realize the goodness of God, we said, I can't keep living this way. I want to live according to His principles, His precepts, His way. His way is the right way. His way is the way that leads to life. The way I'm on leads to death. The goodness of God caused me to realize that. Therefore, I repent. What is repent? It's a change of direction, a change of thinking. The way I was going, I'm not going to go anymore. I'm going to start going His way. This is what the goodness of God does. But when I ignore, this is what's implied in verse number 4. When I ignore the goodness of God, the long-suffering of God. You understand the long-suffering of God is when He doesn't bring judgment on our lives even though I've done things that deserve it. Right? The scripture is clear. We know this scripture. The wages of sin is 
death. But we're, none of us here are dead. Anybody here sin? Don't raise your hand. I know the answer. You're as human as I am. But we're not dead. Why are we not dead if we've sinned? Because he's long-suffering. Why is he long-suffering? Peter said this. He's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want us to pay the price of sin. So he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. The long-suffering of God brings us to repentance. But here's what happens in my humanity and yours. And I know this because we're all human. Here's what happens. I may live and walk in a direction that's wrong, contrary to the will and the word of God. And God's long-suffering with me. He doesn't bring judgment. He reaches in mercy. He reaches in love. He reaches in compassion. He reaches for you and for I. And I can tell He's reaching. I can tell. But my humanity and my will overrides the will of God. And I keep doing my thing and my way. But the love of God is reaching. The love of God is drawing, trying to get me to respond. But because I don't deal with his judgment, I take for granted the long suffering of God. And the writer is saying this Do you despise the riches of his goodness and his forbearance and his long suffering? Are you despising the goodness of God by not responding in repentance but continuing in your own way? That's the question he's asking. you know the goodness of God is trying to lead you somewhere or is it trying to lead you and I trying to lead us notice not trying to drive us not trying to yank us by the ear the goodness of God is trying to lead us it's the spirit of God saying follow me follow me Follow me. And I may turn and go the other way. And what does the Lord do? The long suffering of God comes and says, No, follow me. I'm trying to leave. Follow me. But I turn. One place in Scripture says it's like a dog returning to his own vomit when he forgets where the Lord's brought him from and goes back again and I turn does the Lord say fine forget you I tried I was like no the love of God reaches again says turn follow me the goodness of God keeps reaching to you and I and it keeps reaching why does the goodness of God keep reaching because I'm good no in my flesh dwelleth no good thing but because he's good and his goodness has purpose It's to get you and I to turn to Him in repentance. So why don't we turn? Verse 5 tells us why. But the goodness of God is working. The long-suffering of God is working. It's trying to lead you to repentance. It's trying to lead me to a change of thinking. That's what true repentance is. A change of how I think. And when I've truly repented, I no longer go with human reasoning. I get the mind of Christ. So why don't I turn? Why don't I repent? But, here's why. 
After the hardness, everybody say hardness. After the hardness and impenitent, I have to say that word slow, impenitent heart, that impenitent means not repentant. After the hardness and impenitent heart, you know, repentance doesn't mean, God, I'm sorry. Sorry is not repentance. A change of mind and a change of direction is repentance. And so as a child of God or someone pursuing God that's not yet been born into his kingdom, the Lord deals with us about areas in our life that are contrary to his word and his will for our lives. Not to judge us because of the love of God for us. Why does the love of God do that? Because he knows one day he will judge us. And so he'd rather us respond now while we're in the dispensation of grace than in the day to come when he's no longer our savior but our judge. Today he's our savior. But there will come a day where grace ends. This is scriptural. And when grace ends, he is no longer savior. He is now judge. And what will he judge us according to? He will judge us according to his word. How will he judge us? He will judge us based on the way he reached to us, the way he brought his word to us, the way he dealt with us, his long suffering that continued to reach to us, his love that continued to reach to us, his compassion that continued. He'll bring all of that to us. And he's going, is he a just judge? Absolutely. But he's our savior today. But here's what happens when I don't respond to the long suffering and the love of God and the goodness of God that's trying to get me to change. Why won't I change? Because I've got a hard heart and an impenitent heart. What makes the heart hard? Dryness makes things hard. Take away moisture. Things get hard. In my short almost 50 years, I've learned some things that make the heart hard. Unfortunately, I've learned them through experience. Unforgiveness makes the heart hard. Unforgiveness makes the heart hard. We call it protection. You know what protection is? Armor. Armor's hard. And we put that armor around our heart. But what it does, it also holds in unforgiveness. And when unforgiveness is left in my heart, my heart... You say, oh, I can handle it. I can balance it. I can manage it. You know, I, I, I pray. I read the word. I have a relationship with God. I've learned you can't manage it. The only hope for a heart that has unforgiveness is the love of God and the blood of Jesus Christ to wash over it and cleanse and empty me of all unforgiveness and all bitterness. Bitterness makes the heart hard. Makes the heart hard. Off offense. 
getting offense towards somebody, well, that would make the heart hard. Yeah, but you don't know what they did, Brother Hart. That's probably true. But we're not talking about them. I'm talking about my heart. I don't want my heart to become hard. I don't want my heart to become impenitent. Why? Because when my heart becomes hard, not only does it shut people out, the Word of God and the Spirit of God tries to reach. But I've become so hard and calloused. Calloused. You ever had calluses on your hands? I know some of you think, well, he's just a bank guy, so he doesn't get calluses on his hands. I heard you. You didn't say it out loud, but I heard you. Need I remind you, I started working in the fields when I was 14 years old. I pushed shopping carts and swept restrooms and cleaned toilets at Walmart. I know what it is to hold an axe and split firewood for eight, nine hours on a Saturday for... Seem like forever. That's why I'm in banking now. <laughs> I learned. But I know what it is to do those things. And your hands would get, my hands would just get, like some people would take an axe and I would split wood so much. I didn't care if I, I could grab a stick of wood after I split it and a splinter could hit my hand. It wouldn't even go in. Or if it did, it didn't go far. Why, my hands got calloused, right? This axe handle and those pieces of wood always rubbing up against them, rubbing up against them, rubbing up against them. And it got calloused and hard to where I'd just lose feeling in certain places. Well, that's good if you're just splitting wood. But when it's my heart, and my heart becomes calloused, and what happens then, the Spirit of God will move. And I'm like, I don't feel anything. The Word of God will reach. Uh, somebody will say, man, didn't the Word of God just reach into your heart today? Uh, you know, I, well, I guess. I didn't feel anything. I, I, you know what happens is I got hard, hard. My heart got calloused because of unforgiveness or bitterness or offense. And this hardness and this shell got built around my heart. And I thought I was just protecting myself. But what I was doing was I was allowing the adversary's tools and deceptions to cause me to harden my heart. And not only did it hold those things in, it held out the very things of God that I needed to reach in and do a work in my life. The goodness of God, the long-suffering of God, the love of God is reaching. But the hardness and impenitent heart can't receive it. I'm going to tell you something else that makes the heart hard and impenitent. Justification of my sin. Justification of my sin. When the Lord deals with my life about an area that's not in agreement or alignment with His Word, and I justify my wrong. Well, it's because this or well, but you don't understand that. And look, I can't do it myself. And so the love of God will reveal areas in my life that he wants to bring change. 
But if I justify it, and I justify it, and here's a danger that can happen in the church. I pray you're listening today. The Lord's trying to do something in us. Here's the danger that can happen in the church. I know if I sin, I can just go to an altar and ask Him to forgive me and He'll forgive me. And that's true. That's very true. But here's the deception. I'll continue to justify my sin because, well, I can always just run back. And what's happening is my heart is getting hardened. And my spirit is becoming impenitent or unrepentant. Oh, it doesn't mean I don't run to the altar and cry and say, I'm sorry. But I have no intention of letting God heal and change me. I just know the next time I do whatever I do, I just make, I've got, a, I've got a pattern now. Here's my pattern. I'll do what I want, and then I'll go repent. And I'll do what I want, and then I'll go repent. And I'll continue to live this way, and I'll go repent. And I'll continue to act the way, I, and then I'll, not realizing that what's happening is my heart is becoming hardened. And I'm becoming unrepentant. And all I'm doing when I run to that place and cry over time, I become callous to my sin. And I go deeper and deeper and deeper, not even realizing that now I'm no longer giving in to sin. Sin controls me. And I no longer have any control of my own will because my heart has become hardened and impenitent. And I've been deceived by going through motions. We need to pray right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, it's the love of God reaching to us this morning. It's the love of God. God, I want you reaching into my heart. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can, God. So I pray of you, know my heart, know my thoughts. Try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me, I pray, by your spirit, by your blood, by the washing of your word. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. This is the reason why the scripture says of the Lord, a broken and a contrite heart, he will not despise. Remember verse 4 of Romans 3 said, or Romans 2 said, despisest thou? Well, the counter to that is what the Lord says. A broken spirit and a contrite heart he will not despise. Why? Because a broken and contrite heart, broken spirit and contrite heart, has places where he can access it and get in. And this is the desire of God. You understand... 
God's not calling us to a place of perfection in our humanity. We'll never get there. He's calling us to a place of complete dependency on Him. Where we're dead to ourself and He's alive in us. That's the only way we'll ever get to where He is. Now watch what happens. This is so important. If I have a hardened heart, I need to. The scripture teaches me I can either fall on the rock, which is Christ. I can fall on the rock and be broken. But if I don't, the scripture says the rock is going to fall on me and I'll be ground to powder. The one is the love of God. The other is the judgment of God. We live in a time where the love of God is trying to get us to respond to him. Now, let's read further. What happens, stay there in verse 5. After the hardness and impenitent heart, this is what a hard heart and an unrepentant heart does. It gets treasure. You're laying up treasure if you have a hard or unrepentant heart. Here's what your treasure is. You're treasuring up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. When I have a hard, impenitent heart, I'm laying up treasures just the wrong kind. I'm treasuring up wrath. Watch verse 6. It continues. This is what the Lord's going to do, the judge on that day. He'll render to every man according to his deeds. Verse 7. To them. Now he's going to talk about how this is, judgment is being dispensed. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. You see, the way that reads, you can almost miss what he just said. To the ones who don't take for granted this goodness of the Lord, who have a repentant heart, who broken before the Lord, allow Him to continue to work and lead us to repentance. Those are the ones that have patient continuance in well-doing. They seek for glory and honor, not for themselves, but for the Lord. Glory and honor and immortality. And so what does He give to them? Eternal life. Verse 8. But unto them that are contentious, this is the hard heart, the unrepentant heart, the impenitent heart. Contentious. What are they contending with? Contending with the Lord. Their will versus His will. My will versus His will. My way versus His way. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness... Here's what he's preparing for them. Indignation and wrath. And it continues, verse 9. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Verse 10. But glory, honor. Peace to every man that worketh good. Now, 
There's a subtle deception here that we can fall into if we're not careful. Oh, then I just need to do more good than evil and I'll be okay. If I do enough good, it'll offset my bad. Well, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Sorry, was that, did I just say that? That's foolishness. That's deception. If I walk over here and I smack Brother Azario, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> if I walk over here and I smack Brother Osario upside the head, and then I come around and I go, oh, God bless you, Brother Lewis. I love you. God bless you, Carlos. I love you. God bless you, Brother Joel. I love you. Oh, you know, I loved three people. I only smacked one. My goodness outdoes my evil. Well, that's foolish, isn't it? No, my, I can't. But this is a deception of the enemy when we read these things like every man that worketh good. We are not saved by our good works. What the scripture is talking about there when it says man that worketh good means I'm doing the will of God. God is working through me and doing good things. I can't do good things on my own. I mean, I can, but that's just works of the flesh. It's not going to earn me anything. Good work that's talked about here is the work that God does through us as we yield to his will, his plan for our life, walk in repentance, allowing him to lead us. But the enemy would deceive us, say, well, just do enough good, and then your bad doesn't matter. No, 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 no. I need him to do good. And so what happens when we walk according to his goodness, notice it's his goodness that leads us to repentance, and then his goodness leading us to repentance causes us to do good works. Imagine that. It must be the goodness of God. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile, verse 11. Paul was the master at writing long sentences. For there is no respect of persons with God. Now people quote that verse a lot. But they don't quote all those verses that come before it that are part of the same sentence. It's in context. God's not going to play favorites. Well, you know, Joel smacked Azario, but he hugged three people and told them he loved them. But Brother Lewis smacked two people and only hugged three, so, you know, it doesn't work that way. God doesn't keep score. Good versus... It's the goodness of God that has to lead us to a place of repentance. This is important. Now, I have no idea how long I've been talking. Maybe you do. You may care. I don't. In the Old Testament, we find the Lord coming to Abraham. And I am hurrying. I'm aware of your time. We find the Lord coming to Abraham. And entering into a covenant with him. For sake of time, I'm not going to take you to all these scriptures, but if you need me to give you scriptures and reference afterwards, I'm glad to do so. We're in the Word. The Lord comes to Abraham to make a covenant. And as a sign and a token of that covenant with Abraham, he says, Abraham, I want you and your sons to all be circumcised. 
Now note, this is before the law. This is not a thing of the law. This is a relationship between Almighty God and Abraham. You understand? This is a relationship of promise and faith. We know this from the book of Hebrews. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Not Abraham obeyed the law because Abraham was before the law. Right? Abraham had faith and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So he had faith that God would do what he said he would do. So therefore Abraham did what God told him to do. That's faith. Faith is when I act on the word of God. That's not works. That's faith in action. That's why James could say faith without works is dead. Right? The works that I do aren't my works. They're the word of God being given to me and me being obedient to the word of God. And so, Abraham received this word of the Lord, a word of covenant, that said, you and your sons be circumcised. And there was blood that was shed at that time because of the process. And they entered, this was a token of the covenant that the Lord was making with Abraham and his seed, and his seed seeds forever. It's a promise of the Lord and the word of God. You can go read it in the book of Genesis. And so he does this, this circumcision. Now, fast forward, we come all the way through the Old Testament. That was quick, wasn't it? Everybody said, thank God. And so now we're in the New Testament. Under the New Testament, which of course is now after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because there has to be a death of the testator before a New Testament goes into effect. And so we have this New Testament that we're now living under. So circumcision of the flesh is no longer the indicator of entering into covenant with God. But the scripture teaches us that there is still a circumcision that takes place in the New Testament. Anybody ever heard this? Yeah, there is circumcision that takes place in the New Testament. Maybe we should find that verse, just so you know we're really in the Word of God. Let me pull it up right here. Everybody said, thank God for technology. And so in the book of... Hebrews 9, thank you. I don't trust you there. Hebrews 9 and 16. We'll see if that's the one I want. Nope, that's the Testament and Testator one. Thank you. I feel like we need to read this, otherwise I wouldn't just hang out here. Jesus. Perfect. Thank you. Should just kept reading Romans 2, right? Romans 2, let's start with verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. No, let's go back some. 
Let's go to verse 25. Thank you, Jeremiah. You're doing awesome as always. Romans 2, 25. For circumcision verily or truly profiteth if you keep the law, but we're not under the law. That's the Old Testament. Thank God. But if you be a breaker of the law, then your circumcision is made uncircumcision. In other words, if you break the law, it doesn't matter if you were circumcised or not. You broke the law. Verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keeps the righteousness of the law, he's talking about Gentiles that didn't obey the law and do the circumcision, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Verse 27. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, in the natural, if it fulfill the law, judge you, who by the letter and circumcision transgress the law. He's talking about the natural versus the spiritual. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. So it's not in the flesh. We're not there any longer. Verse 29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of what? The heart. Circumcision is that of the heart. What is the Lord doing? And it's in the spirit, not the natural. It's in the spirit. It's not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. Why is there a circumcision of the heart? Because my fleshly nature has a hard heart. A heart that's impenitent. And so circumcision of God comes and he circumcises the heart. He cuts away this covering of the heart so that I become tender before him, sensitive to him. This is the plan and the desire of God. Is that we would have a circumcised heart. How does that happen? The scripture teaches us how it happens. And I'm finishing. When we go to the waters of baptism. In the name of Jesus Christ. This becomes the circumcising of the heart. That's the verse I was looking for. I didn't find it. It's there. Our heart becomes circumcised. It's not a natural deal. When you and I went through the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, yeah, we got wet. But it wasn't about the natural. It was simply an obedience to the word of God. And it was a spiritual work that took place. The circumcising of the heart in the name of Jesus Christ. Colossians, Paul said it this way. We are buried with him in baptism. Why? So that we also should walk in newness of life. Now you say, well, thank God I've been baptized in the name of Jesus. I got this taken care of. Do you know it's possible to be baptized in the name of Jesus and your heart become hard again? Now that doesn't mean you need to get baptized again. The scripture is clear in Ephesians 4 and 5. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. But it does need, mean I need to fall on the rock again in repentance and let the Lord 
break open those places where I've allowed the shell to grow back around my heart and hardness to get on my heart. I want a tender heart. I want a tender heart. I don't want to ever get to a place to where the Lord can't quickly and swiftly come and deal with me if I'm erring from his way. I want him to be able to quickly come and I want his conviction to be able to reach in. I want him to be able to arrest my attention in a moment. A heart that responds. And I don't want my heart to get to the place to where it waits to respond after I've fallen. I want the love of God to do what he wants to do. That he can reach before I step where I shouldn't and I'll respond. This is what the Lord wants to bring us to with a tender heart. This is the design of God. And it begins through a spiritual work done in the waters of baptism. Where our heart becomes circumcised. The shell is removed. The damages of sin upon our life are washed away by the blood and the name and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And our heart becomes circumcised and it's tender again and He can reach in. Aren't you thankful for that? Would you stand with me this morning? Every single one of us in this room, we need the circumcising of our heart to take place. This spiritual work has to happen in our lives. And we can't do it in our effort and our ability. It's a work of His Spirit. I guess I should point up there. Yeah, going, why is he pointing at the back wall? It's a work of his spirit. And there's some here today. You've gone through this process. You've been buried in the name of Jesus. Your heart was circumcised. But through the process of time. And giving over to your will. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eye. The pride of life. Your heart has become hardened again. But I feel the tenderness of the Spirit of God reaching today. He's been reaching from the very beginning of this service. Reaching to you. And here today, He's not reaching in judgment. But I hear Him reaching in love and compassion and tenderness. Asking you one more time. Would you respond? the calling of the Lord I'm opening this altar to you right now I'm asking you to respond to him come on no one's judging this morning but I'm asking you if you've let your heart get hardened or if you're just simply saying God I want to make sure my heart is not hardened I'm opening this altar to you would you find a place to come? You can stand, you can kneel, you do what works. But would you get in communion with God right now? Come on, please don't let this day pass you by. In Jesus' name, come on, don't treasure up to yourself wrath and indignation and judgment. 
but purpose today, Lord, I want a tender heart. I want a heart that's repentant. I want a heart that's broken and contrite. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, he's brought you today for such a time as this. Your coming in prayer isn't coming in. It's between you and the Lord. You know the acknowledgement that's being made. But I'm asking you, in the fear of the Lord, be willing to respond where he's calling your name. Be willing to respond. You say, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. Just talk with him. Just talk with him. However he's dealt with your heart, talk with him. Give him permission to reach there again. Give him permission to begin to break up the hardened places. Give him permission to reach in and do what he wants to do, that you and I would walk according to the will and the calling of God. It's critical in this hour in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Shadow, you won't light up, mountain, you won't climb up. There's no wall, you won't get it down, why you won't clear down, There's no shadow, you won't light up, mountain, you won't climb up, coming after me. 
Jesus. 